Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Vanguard. I am Matt Wright, and together you and I are going to be spending the next roughly hour, hour and a half traversing the muddied waters of freedom. I hope everybody out there is having a fantastic week. We are here leading up to, to Christmas. Hanukkah just ended, and uh, I am sorry that I missed last week. This episode is actually a pre-recorded episode. It's an interview that I did with the indelible Jack Lloyd um, about liberty in the media, about libertarianism in the media, and uh, preaching freedom in the media, and how. Uh, the indoctrination is beginning there. And it's a fantastic talk that we had. Um, and this was supposed to come out last week, but I ended up having a slight bit of an accident um, over the weekend uh, before it was supposed to come out. And uh, like, I still can't really use this arm the way it's meant to. And my dog, like my dog Fenway, as many of you know, uh, he got really sick and there, it was, it, it was a whole thing. Uh, so I didn't have time to put everything together the way that I needed to. However, I am now here uh, able to set this up so that way I can give you guys the gift of the uh, the gift of the holidays, which is a conversation between me and Jack Lloyd. And I hope that everybody out there has a uh, fantastic time checking this out. Um, I had a really great time doing it. Um, so let's just, uh, once we pay the bills, which we're going to do right now with a little help from this episode is brought to you by Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative as well as the most aptly named sponsor for this show ever. 
with one-seventh of the caffeine as a regular cup of coffee. It's made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. And I know what you're thinking, Matt. You are somebody who loves caffeine. Why would you be hawking for a company that is advertising less caffeine? And that's because it worked. It's true. I love caffeine. I used to drink two energy drinks a day, and now I might have one a week. All thanks to Mudwater. If you or someone you love might want to make the switch to Mudwater, all you have to do is head on over to muddiedwatersoffreedom.com slash mud to make the switch today. And now we can head on in to the interview between myself and the the unbelievable, the incredible, the indelible, the amazing, the incomparable Jack Lloyd. Jack, thanks so much for coming on, man. How have you been? I appreciate it, Matt. I have been doing pretty well. I am super excited with everything we got going on uh, on our side with at least Voluntarius, the, the comic series. It's going pretty well. We're actually almost about to hit our second stretch goal already, so I'm pretty stoked about that. And, uh, you know, just uh, getting ready for whatever fun shenanigans are going to come up this Christmas. You know, we're getting close to a much-needed holiday break. Yeah, and no, definitely. Yeah, happy about that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. As as you well know, um, it's not been the greatest year for me, so I'm definitely looking forward to a nice holiday holiday break. But like, so, so the way that I see it is, you can find you can find good things in all bad situations, and um, the way that this has actually worked out is, you know. I took a break from muddied waters because of everything that was going on. Didn't know if it was something that I wanted to continue to do. And I came back to it and this is a pre-recorded episode, but the day that we are pre-recording this is the seven year anniversary of muddied waters being a podcast. It was seven wow. years ago that uh, Muhammad Shaker and I started doing this show. Um, and you are, we're recording your episode on that day. Hey, I'll take it. Yeah, I know Mo. Yeah. So <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. I'm here yeah, for the anniversary. It feels good. Yeah, it's, it's 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 weird that you haven't been on in seven years. Um. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you were on. You I were on, on Spikes. Right. I was on the subset show with Spike when he yeah. used to do Listen to the Jew, which I think he still has <laughs> doing. My my but, fellow Americans <laughs> under different, uh, yeah, <laughs> under different pretenses, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, he um, I, I I don't. Does he still do my? He doesn't do my fellow Americans, still does he? No, no. It's okay, just, he's still sitting there saying, "Hey, listen to the Jew," you know. <laughs> yeah, he still he still <laughs> says America. <laughs> still my says America. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's got so America's great, Jew in his Chiron. <laughs> <laughs> so um. Last time we saw each other, we uh, I saw you. It was at a, a shooting event for Fa and um, oh man, I just blanked on his name, the stand-up comedian. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're totally fine, Lou Perez. Lou, Lou Perez. Perez, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, since then, like you, you are constantly busy. You are online, just constantly doing something, working on something. Um, one of the one of the things that you are very widely known for is uh, the voluntarist, which I have. I believe I have all of the issues that are out currently. 
I'm pretty certain. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm pretty certain I do. Um, so, what is the Suit Saga that you're working on now? So, right now, Suit Saga is the next arc. The first arc that we just completed was the Origins arc, um, okay. which we actually just wrapped up. We did a trade paperback, full wrap cover of of all those first six issues, and we actually took the time to redo the covers on the single issues and bring the, the issue one and two into continuity with the rest because the the company we worked with had gone defunct and so we had some continuity issues and so we worked to remaster those issues and i did the letters and redid the letters in some cases and now we have a, a complete beautiful 192 page story uh, with that origins arc series complete i'm very proud of it and in fact we just got the print-on-demand issues up on Indie Planet, where it's uh, listed for sale. If you want to actually just buy a copy on demand, you can do that on Indie Planet. And so we, after three months of waiting for it, we finally got our listings up, the last few ones, the trade paperback in issue one and two. So I am super excited that that is out now. I mean, perfect time for Christmas, of course. I'm like, right. yes, <laughs> put that in your, your, uh, your kid's stocking you know, or, or under the tree. Please do. Um, right. Or so you know, whoever. So this, so to me, like I've read, I've read, uh, I've read the origins, the voluntarist origins. Um, so to me, this kind of seems like the natural progression, like when your kids are younger, when they're, you know, we'll, we'll go six to 12, you're going to, you want to get them like the Tuttle twins and like the, and all the stuff coming out from the Tuttle twins, the Tuttle twins, history books, all that kind of stuff as they get into the older, but once they start getting a little bit closer to the teen years, you want to go voluntarist to get them, <laughs> keep them in that mindset, but also, you know, give them more of an action kind of, an action kind of gift. Definitely. I mean, Tuttle Twins is great. I highly recommend them. Love them. They have teens book as, books as well, like in the graphic yeah. novel format, uh, or I should say not graphic novel, but more just novel format. There right. are some graphics on the cover because Elijah Stanfield draws them, but you right. know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, Definitely a whole different genre of things, and they have limits because they're a 501c3, so they have to stay within the bounds of their educational purposes legally, and of course, given the nature of, of some of their backdrops and their family-friendly stuff, there's just types of topics that they can't go as right. on. You know, They have a book on conspiracies that just recently released, which I have. It's great, um, but it's relatively sterilized You know, in terms of they're not going to get into the the grossest details of MK Ultra and the prostitution things that were done. <laughs> you know, they talk about abstraction, but you know, they're not going to list the the, the more uh, sorted details. So, uh, Voluntarius definitely is more of a mature team plus audience kind of book due to language, graphic violence. I don't do the sex stuff, so you know, for those who are concerned about that, that's you know, I'm not going to put a uh, graphic sex and stuff like that, like the boys. Um, but I do, you know, like a little bit of action, you know what I mean? So, right. uh, it, it's something that is, is more mature topics wise, certainly is not meant for little kids uh, just due to the, the imagery and the language used, but, you know, mature enough that it can be enjoyed by, you know, the, the te mature team plus audience kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, obviously as, as anybody who is watching the show or, you know, and has followed you online knows you, you, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely an anarchist um, on the voluntarist. So on the voluntarist kind of persuasion, more so than the anarcho-capitalists or definitely, you know, anything on the opposite end of that spectrum. But can we kind of get like the story on how you kind of got to where you are a voluntarist and what made you decide that you wanted to create these kind of comics and um, 
how it is that you ended up creating this and you built this entire world uh basically because you from what i understand because you didn't like teaching so the longer mid-range story like is, <laughs> is, uh, when i was in college i was in a history class and we were studying the american eugenics movement and that caused me to deeply reflect on what I knew because I didn't know about the American eugenics movement. And, and we cited this case, Buck v. Bell, where Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes ordered Carrie Buck to be forcibly sterilized because of her being feeble-minded. Um, and so I was just shocked. I didn't realize that America had this. I thought that was something for Germany. I'm like, okay, well, if I didn't know that, what else did I know? And that's what led me down the path of you know, researching and revamping my uh, you know assumptions and, and kind of challenging those all the way through over a number of years uh and and going through various people like alex jones and uh you know stefan and uh you know different types of people who maybe aren't even around anymore like neil so uh, but the uh the path who, so, there or so, sorry sorry to interrupt who was the guy that was like because I followed him like when I first started getting into the movement and he was the guy that was crying at Charlottesville and then he got, what was his name? Because I followed him for a little bit and he was. Yes. Um, gosh, I can see his face now. I, his his when name you're, when is you're, so far to my uh, yeah. I'm, I'm almost thankful that I don't remember it right away. It'll probably just pop in my head in a second, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, when you when you were um, saying I went through so many different iterations with Alex Jones, he was the first Chris to Chris. Oh, I almost had it, but he was the first one that popped <laughs> into my head because he was like one of the first ones. That, uh, yeah, yeah, um, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, that sorry, I that popped into my head as soon as you <laughs> said that. I was like, oh, that's like when I used to follow whatever his name was. Right. Uh, yeah, and that individual he was in the beginnings just a right your regular old libertarian and cap kind of person and then yeah he went down the path of of uh yeah collectivist <laughs> <laughs> not very wise uh no yeah yeah so so you you were you know you did the alex jones you did stefan you did you did all those and then you were then you steered then you steered off and you became you started noticing that, you know, obviously like the collectivism and uh, the authoritarian mindset that everybody was having in the, in, in any kind of parties, I don't care if it's libertarian or not, it's all of them seem to have that kind of collectivist mindset uh, to some extent. Um, but you continued to move off and like, then you became, what was it that made you go voluntarist? Like, how did you get, how did you get there? Yeah, so as I challenged my assumptions over years and read and researched, I eventually came across a statement on a website called the No State Project by Mark Stevens, and he had a question there that said, should goods and services be provided at the barrel of a gun? And so I thought about that question, and it kind of struck me, uh, you know, as as a obvious ethical answer that obviously, you know, the provision of goods and services should not be by force and, and by threats and theft. And so that turned me toward voluntarism as being the true, uh, you know, ethical way to have human relations, and then everything else after that was just a matter of of falling into that ethical paradigm. Right. And so, that of course uh, shifted my journey even further toward wanting to promote voluntarism. And so eventually, I got to a point where I envisioned these superheroes that would wake people up to liberty as kind of this costume cosplay thing. But then later on, when I was uh, finishing up 
uh, my bar exam studies after law school, I wanted to create something more substantive. And I played with the movie script at first and then eventually realized that that would be way too expensive to do right. So I said, okay, well, actually, you know, I really am a comic fan, you know, and that's the core medium. And if you do comics, it's a bit more affordable to do right. So I decided to go down the comic book path instead of the film path because I thought that would make sense within my existing interest and financial feasibility. And so Voluntarist was born out of that. And I worked with a artist to do the drafting on the character and then eventually did an Indiegogo pitch. And then, you know, everything ever since then, it's been a history, just growing and learning and, and getting better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's been absolutely incredible uh, watching watching how, especially inside the liberty movement, um, how inside the liberty movement there has been this boom of creativity uh with voluntarist and then uh eric july has uh i i don't know how to pronounce it isos uh isom like the Isom. word eyeball and then psalm like the bible psalm okay isom um he's got isom out and then you've got a lot more people doing music you and you're seeing this groundswell of just creativity coming out of the Liberty movement. Uh, you know, the Tuttle twins, obviously, as we've discussed earlier. And I really think that this is what is needed in today's society is you need people who believe these things, who are willing to put it out on the line and continue making this stuff um, to put out into the public. Because right now, when you look at companies like, you know, Disney, Fox, uh Amazon, whoever, you're going to get the exact same thing over and over and over again. So having the counterbalance to that out there uh, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and it's also a great time because the major corporate, you know, oligopies, uh, you know, that basically have taken all these long-standing characters and have destroyed them by making crappy stories and just changing the sex or sexuality or race and repackaging it and trying to sell these things time and again with with just garbage writing and so people have gotten tired of it you know for a time you know people were coming back just on the fandoms for sequels or remakes and then eventually the quality kept going further and further down and now everyone's pretty exhausted with it they're pretty exhausted with with disney and dc so right. it's opened up this huge opportunity in the market for creators to come in and capture those dissatisfied customers who are looking for something that is, uh, you know, either a more, uh, you know, just traditional, not as like preachy at them about the, you know, leftist SJW tropes or just something that's unique, you know, just something that's more than the usual. Here's the hero's journey thing. And you kind of predictably know what's going to happen and there's nothing exciting about it whatsoever. No deep thoughts to it. So um, I would say, you know, recently one of the most refreshing things I've even seen in theaters was that G minus one movie, the new Godzilla movie, which is incredible. And this new Godzilla movie um, rejects all those tropes. There's no SJW nonsense in there. It is incredibly deep characters and uh, deep emotional pulls, um, really, you know, funny intermediate gags and, and things like that. Um, and, and just great writing and, uh, you know, a crazy, uh, job they did with with the budget 15 million they they really made something that outshines your 200 million dollar plus marvel superhero budgets i mean really just right. something that's incredible and so people i think i've gotten a taste back of that with this japanese movie that's you know with english <laughs> subtitles and I, I 
more than ever, people are craving that. They just are like, oh my gosh, you know, when's the last time you went to a movie and it made you cry because you connected with the characters so much and the story was so rich. So uh, that's where we're at. We're at this amazing market opportunity um, and it's it's wide open. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I haven't seen uh, G minus one yet. Um, I've, I've wanted to see it. I was, I was actually supposed to go see it this weekend, but then I couldn't because my dog got sick and I had to take care of him. Um, but um, I was supposed to go see it this weekend, but I was watching a podcast and they were talking about it. And one of the people on it, and I'm, I'm going to ask your opinion on this. One, he said it was one of the best movies of the year, which you confirmed that to me already. Um, he said, this is one of the best movies I've seen this year. It's fantastic. Uh, but one of the things that he said that he loved about it is that right now in Hollywood, you don't have a lot, like, I've been hearing this gripe since I was a kid and I started noticing it more and more as I got older, but the dads in movies are always kind of idiots. Um, you know, they're kind of the goofy bumbling. Uh, I think Brian Regan has a stand up skit about it where he's like, the dad gets stuck in like the blinds. He's like, I don't know how to do this. And, uh, he said that this movie had a very strong parental figure and, and it was a great movie for dads and it was a good dad father figure and good dad mythos kind of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not going to be in the way that people might think uh, directly because there's it's there's some intrigue. I won't spoil anything, but there's there's right. some elements there that are not traditional. But I completely agree that it it is certainly a positive light on the role of fatherhood and the importance of fatherhood. And it's done in a way that I think would make people feel very emotionally connected to the characters and their struggle and the things that they have to think through and face as they try to survive. So absolutely. And, and I agree in also in comparative light with most of your major TV shows and movies, uh, fatherhood is often seen as disposable or negligible yeah. or men are disposable, negligible goofs, um, you know, who are just worthless and beta unless uh, they're working for the government, you know, so if they're on a leash by the government, then you could be a strong man. Um, or sometimes the strong men are just bad guys, you know, in terms of their machismo. So it's been a long time, you know, since strong male role models who are not the government or not ba bad guys, at least in terms of strength, you know, are, are shown. Um, and so this is very satisfying. The G minus one trope is very right. satisfying as compared to, uh, you know, what you'd see in most other situations on TV or in the movies. And and you're right. That's that's actually a really good point that I hadn't really thought of because I was like trying to think of because obviously like when you have like your sitcoms, you've got, you know, the dad's usually a delivery driver, you know, some blue collar guy, but he's goofy. But anytime that it is like the strong dad, he's going to be like a police officer. So he's he, he is an agent of the government. So that actually that is something I like it was it was in there, but it's like I never kind of was like, well, no, he's a strong. Oh, wait. Because Philip Banks uh, from Fresh Prince, he was a judge. He was right. a judge. Uh, Carl Winslow, he was a cop. Like the the strong yep. dads are always agents of the government. Um, yep. Danny Tanner, who was <laughs> who was a strong dad, but he was really goofy and did really stupid things. He was a TV host, so you could just see the different dynamic immediately right there. Um, and those were all in the early nineties, um, but. Right now, like, I don't personally have children of my own, so, like, I don't have to, like, worry about, you know, the different kinds of role models that they're going, growing up with on TV. But growing up 
when we were growing up on TV, like you had strong role models that you could look up to. Um, you had your Iron Man's. I don't remember how old you are. I just know how old I, I am. But you had your Iron Man's, you had your Spider-Man. Um, and you had the people that were out there, you know, fighting for good. Um, but today, it seems like there aren't as many strong role models out there. What What are your thoughts on kind of where where we are with that as like an entire scope of society? Yeah, I would say most of your shows are going to be written and I do have a bit my own, you know, theorizing about this. Most of your shows are going to be written from a perspective that um, if you have a role model, they have to be, especially in the last you know decade more so, uh, someone who is again working for the government or is some leftist culture warrior person. You're not going to get uh, someone who's conservative to libertarian spectrum being shown in a positive light. You're not going to get. This idea that a father's words and wisdom are important and might be in a situation supremely listened to, not by default of authority, but just even by good reason, right? That they right. provide good, good reason to what they say, at least. Um, so I would say in part, um, there's I think those tropes, because the people who are working on these shows uh, are certainly products of the high divorce rates. Um, that were you know peaking up around the 2000s, and you're going to see that you know a lot of the, the younger writers and the people who are coming into their being in terms of having control over scripts these days and production have those personal stigmas that they feel and project into movies. So I I have seen that, um, and I've seen that even in um, how different directors are taking the directions, like the Barbie movie, right? The person um, who wrote that or I should say directed that um, she's a lesbian and you can see Gre that it's a very lesbian themed movie. Like it, you Gre know what I mean? It doesn't Greta take Ger Greta Gerwig yeah. isn't a lesbian. Which one? The Greta Gerwig. She, she's not, like, we... no, she, she's with Noah Baumbach. Let me see something. Cause uh... yeah, Greta, Gre Greta Gerwig, who is the woman that directed that. I think she may have written it as well. She she's dating. She's either married to or dating Noah Baumbach. Um, hmm. I'm trying to see something here. Was it the writer? Or was it the director? Let me say. I, I thought she and Noah Baumbach wrote that together. Hmm. And I could, like, I could, I have not seen that movie yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I went to go see Oppenheimer instead. Maybe. Huh. What am I confusing that with then? There's something with it. It wasn't Gerwig then. It was, um, hmm. Now I got to figure this out because there was, am I thinking about the, oh, wait, who is the uh, character who's the odd character? The one that's the special oh, Kate, Barbie? Kate McKinnon. Kate Mc, yeah. Kate is McKinnon. She she was on SNL and she was in. um Yeah. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I'm trying to figure it out. Where is it then? It was something with Barbie here. I could see. Okay. So yeah, they, I think I haven't, again, I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard a lot about the movie because it yeah. was all over. I got to come back to that. Cause there's something specifically in how it was done that I forgot who it was. Now I got to look this up. But Kate McKinnon, strong. I do, I do believe Kate McKinnon is a lesbian and I know that she played uh, odd Barbie or weird Barbie, whatever they call right. it. Right. 
Yeah. I'm taking a look here. Yeah, she was the first openly lesbian person, right? On SNL. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I was trying. To, okay. So this is where I, I think maybe this is what I was thinking, and I uh, maybe misspoke because I, I don't know what I was confusing with that. Had a different director, huh? Who was lesbian. But the, the, um, the, the right, the weird Barbie is supposed to be that, um, you know, lesbian character, right? Essentially, I think in the movie. And she directs Barbie to go in, and to reject Ken. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much of a spoil if you're, if you still are going to see it, but <laughs> I, do, I don't care even a little bit about that movie. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, man. This is throwing me I, off because now oh, I'm trying to think who it was. That was, there was something that I had. It's been a while since I looked at it, but there's something about, I forgot exactly what it was, but it could be, maybe I'm confusing that with something else, but it could be Kate McKinnon and her role with it. Um, but yeah, yeah. so well, short of the story is that, yeah, it's like, that's kind of like the symbolic thing of, of Barbie getting with the girls to reject by the end of the story, Ken, and then she's going to a you know a, a gynecologist at the end with the ladies and the and the guys they are presented in a more emasculated way, and even the uh, the real human being woman who's like a um, Latino with her daughter, her her husband is just this like object and tool um, who you know basically is just there to be a fixture, but it's really the mom taking care of the daughter and all those different tropes, you know? Right. So, yeah, I um. Like even the Lego movie, which a lot of people like, I, okay. So I liked the Lego movie. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a lot of fun, but even then I was like, okay, everything that the Lego movie is teaching us is one, the dad is evil because all he does is care about business. And it's not until he decides he's over business and he's not and you know, capitalism is bad that he becomes a good guy at the end of the movie and plays Legos with his son. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry that I kind of spoiled the end. But that is the entire story. Um, but even the, you know, even the song that they had from it, um, the song that they had, you know, the God, what was the name of that song? But it's like, let's work together. Like it was almost like they were kind of saying, singing, we're, we're all equal. We need to do everything together. You know, you can't get ahead without each other. And when I, that was the first movie where it clicked with me, where I was like, wait a minute. Because normally I just shut my brain off, but in that one, I was like, wait, they're actually telling kids business is bad and you have to work everything collectively in order to make. And that was where I was like, that was the first one where I really saw the propaganda. I still enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I was like, I see what they're doing here. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, that's a common trope with Hollywood movies. I think uh, Foundation for Economic Education actually did a video on those tropes specifically how Hollywood always has it's just business as a line. And every time they say it's just business, it has literally nothing to do with business. It's like right. someone doing something evil or breaking an agreement or, or stealing from somebody. Right. So they have this psychological association of it's just business. Um, and, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they've been doing that since like the 1980s with like uh, Oliver Stone when he directed Wall Street with uh, Michael Douglas. And he, Michael Douglas gives that passion speech, which is a great speech, but he gives the impassioned speech on greed is good. 
And it's okay that we're going to go out there and break all of these SEC laws because greed is good. And that is what drives mm -hmm. the economy. And almost like after I saw it in the Lego movie, like I went back and I'm watching other stuff and I'm like, oh, they've been doing this forever. It's amazing that I turned out with as much movies and TVs as I watched that I turned out as a, as a capitalist, as an anarcho-capitalist. Um, yeah, exactly. It's there's the propaganda there is very strong. So that's the goal is that by continually repeating it on young people, um, that eventually they just have a subconscious association with it, you know, and that's a big reason why, you know, the CIA and government department of defense has a lot of connections with Hollywood in terms of, um, doing special things with either helping support scripts so long as they get to control what's said um you know offering different equipment or access to bases and stuff like that so long as you know they get a little say in, in how things go you know right yeah and that's why when when hollywood shut down this summer with uh the writer strike and the actors strike i thought that it was going to be a great moment for any independent creator out there because this was this was the moment that you could go out there and you could make whatever it is and and you know Netflix, Amazon, whoever is going to be looking for content right now on CBS. I think they are showing shows that were created in Australia because they <laughs> don't have any American shows to air for new content right now. So I hope I, I know that um, one of the companies that I work with, uh, as you know, I'm working on a movie with some people. Uh, we, I was really hoping we were going to be able to get some funding so that way we could push forward with the movie during the strike, but we ended up, I don't know what happened. I'm not there for the day to day, but, um, like, I hope that a lot of independent creators thought, okay, we have this strike. There's going to be a breakdown in content. Let's make movies that people want to see because the independent stuff is where I'm finding anything of value nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it that's really where it's at right now is, is all the independent creators. And I think that they're flourishing across the board. Um, you know, you name it, everything from Ripperverse to what's going on in angel studios, you know, yeah. not saying it's necessarily great, but you know, daily wire is even capitalizing on it, right. They're coming up with their own comedy shows and movies and also their stuff. So people are, are seeing the opportunity and they're taking it. And so it's just a matter of, of, making sure that when you, you know, you have this opportunity in front of you, you just do it right and capture the audience while it's hot. And, and I would think that as, like, I would think that as part of the cultural zeitgeist that is going on right now, so many people are seeing it and recognizing it. When South Park does an episode like they did, uh, what is it, Enter the Panda, Pandaverse or whatever it yeah, was called? Panda. Yeah, the <laughs> Yeah. Um, when, when South Park's doing episodes like that and it's creating that much traction, South Park isn't going to do that unless it's already part of the of the internal monologue of the nation. Um, and the way that they did that and how they captured it was so unbelievable because it was perfect. It was perfect. The only, I disagreed a little bit on parts of it um, where Kathleen Kennedy was saying it was because of the trolls that she went so woke and like, it was like a, a snake eating its own tail kind of a thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It had to start somewhere, and it definitely started with Kathleen Kennedy making a lot of the decisions that she made for Star Wars. But if she hadn't made those initial decisions, none of it would have happened. Um, JJ, you know, JJ Abrams being put in charge of it was not the right call. Um, 
But do you think that companies, do you think that major companies are going to see the error of their ways and try to like rein it back in when they see independence creators like like Ripaverse, like Voluntarists, um, like Voluntarists, like Angel Studios, like Daily Wire creating these kind of things? Do you think they're going to try to shift back toward the more? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Some will. I think that it's just a matter of um, which ones are the most ideologically captured, right? Because it's like it's one thing to be like, okay, we just need to fire five people, you know, you know or the diversity office or something. It's another to be like, well, this whole in this you know, whole organization institute, or whatever, has been captured, right? If you have ninety percent of the employees being that, forget about it. You know what I mean, right. <laughs> you're not going to be able to do that. It's not the same as oh, we're just firing our marketing director or something, you know. So, right. Uh, I think that there's a lot more uh, heavy. Uh, entrenchment within certain uh, major companies. I would say Disney's one of those where it's probably unlikely that they'll get out of it in time. And the main issue there is some of their properties that they've picked up over the years are going to suffer along with that. Um, I think that there are certainly companies that are able to respond and to switch gears, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to still deal with the damage control and trust building that's required. So, you know, I, I have some uh, big doubts about the success of, of at least in the entertainment space of recapturing. I believe that it's more likely that once you lose customers in that way, um, you're they're going to be hooked on something new. And so it's not, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a matter of, you know, being able to get people back on, they they would have to do something so absolutely incredible that it gets people to to leave. And I just don't see the wherewithal um, and the internal uh, understanding to have that top to bottom uh, control to get it there. You know, you have to have everything perfect in the editing and the visual effects and the story writing, top to bottom, no part off. No, right. Um, so that's a really big hurdle for large companies that have you know a lot of different uh red red tape aspects to what they're doing they're not going to be as agile right no and that's yeah that's that i mean that's a good point like there's a story the story came out about disney i think it was on the marvels movie where they created all, the cg team cgi team created all the background and then like two days before it was supposed to be like finalized and released they were like hey we need you to change all of this stuff and so they, you end up with poor quality CGI and, you know, it doesn't make sense for the movie. And um, again, I didn't see the Marvels either and I'm not going to because I hear it's just awful. Um, but yeah, if you, you're right. You are going to need them to go, okay, we need a story that's actually a good story that actually builds up characters. Um, one of the One of the things that I like to point to in how they destroy characters especially like IP that's been around for a long time is uh, the Simpsons. Homer Simpson is the greatest, was the one of the greatest dads on television until he wasn't. And then he became the stereotypical dad because even at the beginning of the Simpsons, 
you know, season one through season five ish, everything he did was for his family and it was all with heart. He was an idiot and he screwed up, but you knew he did it because he loved his family. And then as the show got later, and I kind of agree with what you were saying earlier, as the writers that were coming on were people who came from like possibly fatherless homes and they were growing up with the dads on TV who were just big and oafish and idiotic, they started making Homer kind of dumber and dumber and dumber. And there's almost a point where you can see where it happened to Homer. Um, But instead of him doing things like when he when he had to keep the job at the nuclear power plant and he set up the thing where it says you do it for her um, to remember that he's always doing it for Maggie's. That's why, that's why he keeps that job that he hates or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Instead of that, he just continues to keep his job because of reasons. And he just is going to continue to be selfish and everything he does, he doesn't care about anybody else. Um, But there was a season in one of the episodes, it's the max power episode where somebody is some some guy is named Homer Simpson on a TV show and he's an idiot and it was almost at that episode that they switched and they made Homer an idiot on the TV show um but they've t- they took an IP of somebody that was a great family man he wasn't that he wasn't that bright he wasn't that intelligent but he did care about his family and everything he did was for them and he he wasn't a, beholden to the government you know he but he was just trying to make ends meet and do everything for his family. And then at one point it changed and everything he did was selfish and for himself. And it was Marge trying to keep the family together. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you know, could see some, I'm not a Simpsons expert, uh, but I definitely have seen it's some of its key moments in development over the years. And certainly some of the, the more recent content of it that I've ever seen, uh, is more so showing Simpsons to just be a, a leftist, uh, oh. you know, talking piece by and large, you know, as Lisa is, is kind of the talking piece for the authors, you know, the progressive idealized perfect person and everyone else is idiots uh, with her environmentalist, uh, you know, leftist message. So certainly that trope plays into there that Homer is dumb and, and doesn't of course know what's best and, and doesn't care. Um, but I agree with you from what I've you know seen and other things that he did present himself as being someone who really cared about his family in the earlier days. He did, yeah. Um, and yeah, I grew up like I forget that not everybody watched watched every episode of The Simpsons like I did. That um, wasn't allowed to watch that show as a child, so it's like when I finally could, <laughs> I just watched all of them. Um, <laughs> and I find I also find it funny that back then The Simpsons. In my family, at least, The Simpsons was considered not appropriate for children. And then, yeah, and nowadays it's like, <laughs> let anybody watch that. That doesn't matter. All right, um, yeah. So, um, so what else, like, I know that you've got more going on than just voluntary. What else have you guys been working on? Like, you and Fa are always out doing things. What else have you guys got going on uh, coming up before the end of the year? Yeah, before uh, I guess I guess that we were you know eating some pho, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we uh, yeah, we we besides eating that and some food, whatever. We um, we have a few things going. I got my nonfiction books, so that's always fun. Uh, you know, I finished up this trilogy with uh, philosophical uh, voluntarism here, and um, that book I released because I was like, yeah, I want to get it out sooner before the end of the year. So philosophical voluntarism um, is kind of the closing 
to my trilogy, which before that was a vision for libertarian future. And then the first one was a definitive guide to libertarian voluntarism. And so that gives kind of more of a philosophical backdrop to voluntarism as applies to um, all aspects of life, improving you know, communication and family relationships, other things, and their citations to other people as well, um, who I think are really good and inspirational in those directions. So, um, but in terms of upcoming projects, we have a top secret project that I can't talk about, uh, <laughs> but it'll be out on January 1st after voluntarist wraps. So we got another secret project there. And then next year, I believe we're going to attempt to do more tabling. Uh, so we're going to see maybe even going to a comic convention to table. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. We're thinking about the Tampa Bay comic convention as a possibility. So we're weighing that right now. Um, but we'll be at the LPF con in Jacksonville. So that's a start and yeah. we'll be doing more music. Um, we intend as of now to record at least six new songs next year and do at least one new music video, if not more. And then we'll probably be doing more, projects especially voluntarists because i imagine that's gonna continue to do well as it has been already and so we're gonna roll right into the next issue uh, as soon as we get the secret project out of the way so those are just some some little things going on some little things nice. very cool and like you were uh the reason that i was in my first ever rap video um yeah <laughs> so uh for anybody yeah, 100%. That is 100% true. The only rap video I have ever been a part of was one that you were doing. Um, so if anybody doesn't know that, you should find that video. Um, you get to see yeah, me as, a, as as the bubble boy. Disobey is the name of the song on the Philosophy YouTube channel. Definitely yeah. check it out. Yeah, We had to get a giant inflatable bubble so that uh, we could pretend that you were some person who was trying to like keep six feet away from everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And then someone had a nice, uh, you know, uh, Corona costume that they yeah. were chasing. With. So it, it was yeah, a good, that was Alex, right? Alex. Said that. Yeah. Alex, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. Free knots. He, uh, he was playing that character. It was a great time. I really, I look back on that time fondly, just being I able to too. hang out with so many cool people um, and just have a great time. And, you know, it, it's nice to have those special moments where you get to do something creative together and, and make something special. So, yeah, I, I will. So all in all, that that entire day had a blast and it was great hanging out with, you know, all of the different people from across the libertarian spectrum. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget me in the bubble suit and um, Alex running into <laughs> each other in the suits just to see. If we would bounce off of each other or not, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. No, that was that was a really fun time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so with Eric July with Isom, have you guys like discussed like doing like crossover things, or are we keeping it separate right now, or is there, or is this like something you can't talk about? We, yeah, we and I, I don't know. Me and Eric don't have any type of particular business relationship. We're casual acquaintances. We just happen to both be people who have been Liberty producers who've done music and comic books, you know, and that kind of thing. And I guess we're I legitimately, <laughs> I legitimately <laughs> thought you guys talked all the time. I don't know why. Not at all. Yeah, no. Um, 
So, but I can understand that, you know, there is so many parallels with us. It is kind of crazy um, and certainly mad respect for what he does. And I support what, you know, he does and I have his comics and I keep supporting it because I love it. Um, so Ripperverse, is, it's super cool. Um, but yeah, no, we just happen to have very parallel paths. Gotcha. Just different, okay. <laughs> different times, right? It's like flip side for real. Um, yeah. uh, the things that we do, but he's just killing it on a whole new level, you know, with Ripperverse having raised, you know, what amounts to probably, you know, near 7 million at this point. So. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. What he, what he has done with Ripaverse has been absolutely just mind boggling. And I can always tell that he's doing really well with Ripaverse because I see a lot of people hating on Ripaverse online. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if people are hating on it, he must be doing a great job with it. <laughs> yeah, I think that he's overall doing a good job. I think they had some growing pains and some things to learn from in their first issue. There was certainly things within the comic itself that, you know, there was a few typos here and there, and there's a few design errors or small, very small continuity errors issues, like very, you know, marginal for someone that's just doing this for the first time. They're putting on a 90 page comic. But I think that, you know, that was a part of his like quick learning process and, you know, as you can see with what he's done since then, he had the the affordability to actually get all the quality control, I think, that they needed, you know, with hiring extra people and extra hands to do reviews right. and all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, as much as people might critique it for that, I'm like, as someone who's made comics for many years, I'm like, no, I'm like, it, it can be difficult to get those things perfectly done, you know, especially when you're doing so much already yourself to make sure that everything's under perfect quality control going across multiple people and having to go to different places to get printed and reviewed it. So it is, it is difficult to have perfection from the start. Um, but I think that the, uh, the things that happened within ISOM one have already been fixed going forward uh, with ISOM two and everything else and everything, you know, that they're doing is, is top notch. So they brought in some top tier talent, you know, to expand the universe for writing. Um, so I, I think that it's just going to be, you know, to the moon from here so <laughs> so uh completely switching gears and off of any topic that we have been discussing um i want to get your opinion on uh the house that blew up in arlington yesterday which by the time people see it it'll be last week um <laughs> how much how much uh how much have you heard about this story um none I, i'm thinking I, I don't know that i've heard about that no Okay, so did you you didn't hear about the house that blew up? Uh, no. Okay, so all right. I'll well, so. man, I, I I figured you were going to have some opinions on this one. Um, on the what is it? On the fourth, police were going to serve a search warrant to a house in Arlington, Virginia, and it just blew up. Um, it blew up both sides of a duplex. It's it it looks like something out of a Michael Bay movie. Okay, so I'm seeing here that he had a history of making, they say, unsubstantiated complaints. He was defrauded, and then just before the explosion, he claimed that his neighbors were spies. Right. Yeah, um, he was claiming that his neighbors were spies and spying on him, um, but then a lot of his social media stuff started being deleted after he blew up. Why would they say, though, that he's uh, that they're spying on him? He he was saying that uh, he wasn't saying that they were spying on him. He was just saying that they were uh -huh. spies. 
Interesting. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a very strange story. And uh, I was kind of reading up a little bit on it today because when you see an explosion like that happen, my first thought, mm -hmm. gas explosion or meth explosion. Yeah. Um, but then when you find out that the police were serving a search warrant at the moment of explosion, and then you hear about the spies, I started going, huh, this is weird. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, unusual. I, I see that he writes or wrote supposedly on LinkedIn that he had his next door neighbor known as Lance Smith. He drives a white Jeep and he believes he and his wife are um, spies. And he says that his two children ages approximately, approximately 14 and 17. Yep. Um, says he attended UF. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, I like, it's interesting. It certainly is interesting. I would like to see what, what, what specifically is corroborated about those people and events. I'd like to know more about the people since we have, you know, pictures of those people supposedly that he was talking about, but uh, obviously Arlington's close to DC and there's lots of people there who are in that uh, political machine, oh, yeah. war machine business hanging out around there. So I don't know, could be yeah. something could be that he's deranged and blew himself up. I'm, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was just like when, uh, when social media site, anytime social media sites start disappearing, Cause like his LinkedIn's yeah. gone. You can't find it now. Mm. So anytime something like that happens, I'm like, why would they delete that? If he blew himself up, LinkedIn isn't going to just go in and delete it. Somebody has to do it. And that's where I started going, why are they erasing it? Um, and that, that was where the, mm -hmm. the, the cold hair, the small hairs on the back of my neck started standing up and going, is it, was this crazy dude mm -hmm. being real? Um, right. Well, I guess that's the other flip side to it is maybe someone benign on the other side is saying, oh, we don't want people like reading his posts where he's making these accusations of people that's not true. And then they go, oh, see, it's real because he blew himself up. And then they're like, oh, we're going to go harass this family, even if they're innocent. So that's probably the flip side to it. But yeah, obviously, without more, it's difficult to know what's true or false about that. Since right. I don't know him. I don't know the neighbor. You know, there's no history so far where, you know, he was X something, you know some type of agent himself or he, you know, the neighbors and in, in the military or something. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like the only information that I saw that came out on it was stuff that had been on his LinkedIn profile and he worked for uh, some South Korean company that uh, was handling the, like the TikTok deal in America. Um, hmm. Like, but outside of that, nothing else that I could find about it. But I, I, after I saw the explosion yesterday, I was like, that was insane. And then when you hear about all the things kind of surrounding it, I was like, mm -hmm. everything about this makes me think there's something else to this story. And I just don't know what it is. And I couldn't wait to ask you about it. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I got no, no idea, but it is interesting. I agree. It's, it's an interesting story. It makes you want to look into this guy's history and what led up to it. Cause it's right. not every day. Someone decides to blow up themselves in their house. Right. So, um, so, so yeah, um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to a brand new 2024, uh, cause 2023 <laughs> was an awful year. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, just don't make it explosive. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't start but, posting about, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't start posting about my neighbors being spies. Uh, Tom Wick is a spy. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tom Woods is a spy, and I know it. Yeah. Um, he's a Russian spy. His real name is Tom Woods Mandadov. <laughs> yeah. Or you could say Michael Malice. That's not even his real name. <laughs> it's true. It's well, not. His name's not Malice. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my gosh. No. Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand either. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Actually, I didn't know that was Ayn Rand's real name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jews love stage names. Oh, yeah, because she was Russian, right? Yeah, Russian Jew. Yeah, Russian Jew. Yeah. So she probably had like 97 yeah. consonants in her last name. She shortened <laughs> Quite a few. Quite a yeah. few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, I'm working on a couple projects that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, got some smaller short short, short film stuff that I'm trying to get some uh, help with funding. And uh, the book that I told, I'm, so for anybody who doesn't know, um, I'm, writing, I'm writing a novel, dystopian future uh, novel. Um, and I, I, re I reached out to Jack for some information on some different conspiracy theories so I could work those into the storyline. Um, and then I talked with somebody who worked in the Department of Defense on how they would properly do something like MK Ultra, and so I was able to bring all of those together for the big torture scene in the movie, or in the in the book. Uh, and I'm very excited to have you read that scene uh, once I finally finish out the rest of the rest of it. Um, but I'm hoping to have that done. Hoping to have that done. Hoping to have a couple other projects done. But uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of 2020, to 2024 because 2023 can suck it. Um. <laughs> you had a Freudian slip before when you said movie. Is this uh, is this the the kind of precursor to a movie adaptation? This, this is uh, it. I was talking to somebody about a movie. I was talking to somebody about the book, and they said, "After you finish it, can we make it a movie?" And I said, "Yeah, no, absolutely." So that gave me inspiration to finish to finish the book. Right. Um, but hopefully uh, the first movie starts getting under production, which isn't libertarian, even though I threw in some stuff because they weren't going to catch it. <laughs> it's not, hey, taxation is theft, don't you know? Right. And then they run off. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just some random person runs in. Yeah. Epstein didn't kill himself and sprints off. Yeah. <laughs> now, um... Yeah, so looking forward to it. And uh, I, at some point in the future, I want to collaborate with you on a project. I don't know what I, that project should be, being the two of us. But uh, I think that you and I could probably put out something brilliant and, and beautiful uh, that could touch a lot of hearts in one way or another. Yeah, like a, an Epstein uh, kind of uh, docudrama. Right. Where it, you know. <laughs> it's like... The other side of Jeffrey Epstein, you didn't know. Right. He loved life and he just wanted to love people, but he was misunderstood. He just, he, he just wanted to make sure that every child got the hug they deserved. Right. Um, uh, um, so there you go. You got to integrate that in your movie story, right? They they like drop in an Epstein Island. That's part of the uh, the secret. <laughs> you know, there's there's a whole section in that middle that needs to be written. Um, <laughs> I got that beginning part and I got that end. It's that middle part. I'm not really sure on. Um, there you go. So, um, what? Uh, 
if you want to give your pitch to everybody, tell them where they can find all your stuff, where they can donate, where where, where they can give, uh, where they can help out, anything that anything that they can do. If you want to give their pitch here and uh, let them know. You have yeah, the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you want to check out my work, you can check out Jack, J-C-K-V as a voluntarist, Lloyd, L-L-O-I-D, jackvloyd.com. That's where you can connect with a lot of my different projects and things that I got going on. And speaking of which, the voluntarist right now is funding an Indiegogo for the Suit Saga arc. So I'd love to have your support on there. You don't even need to donate. I will give you perks in exchange for a mutually given amount of money. So it's a business transaction. <laughs> um, and I would love to send you the comic and all these uh, extra cool goodies. Like I have this amazing aluminum voluntarist bookmark. It looks so sharp and it shines in the light and it will last because it's made of metal. Yeah. So I I definitely pick that up. Right. (laughs) So it is in a book right now. It holds this place very strongly. It does. It (laughs) it does. It does not move from. It will not move. So if you uh, if you pick up pretty much any major park on there, you're going to get that with that. And uh, that's on Indiegogo. And you can check that out either just by going to Indiegogo and, and searching it or Volcomic. That's V as in voluntary. V-O-L-C-O-M-I-C, volcomic.com. That's my comic-related website. And there you can pretty much check out everything voluntariously, the campaign, even the print issue copies that we were just talking about before, uh, where I now have the origin series. It's the precursor series out in print on demand. Now all issues are there, the single issue floppies, as well as the beautiful 192-page trade paperback, full wrap cover with an amazing catchphrase on the back that says, what does it mean to be truly free? So something you'll be proud of to display on the shelf after you've read, and it will inspire you and make you wonder what happens next in our Suit Saga 1 arc. So I appreciate you having me on, Matt. No, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I look forward to getting together. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it as much, uh, enjoyed watching it slash listening to it as much as I enjoyed uh, making it. Uh, always a good time chatting with Jack. Um, you know, good, good, really good buddy of mine, really good friend, and truly one of the people who, uh, one of the people out there who really stands with somebody um in times of need uh i will forever be uh loyal to that man um before i go before i go uh i want to just kind of talk to y'all really quick um this is going to be the last episode of the year uh i'm going to be working on some stuff uh over the next week week and a half uh to kind of try to make things a little bit better a little bit more streamlined um there's been some aspects that i haven't been a huge fan of of the new format and the new show but it is something that we are going to be uh working on uh one of those things for instance is how um as i am just now noticing is the uh my 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 thing doesn't fit the way that it's supposed to um so we're just gonna Center that up like yeah, right about there. That works. Um, so anyway, I'm going to be doing some work to try to make things a little bit better, to fix things up a little bit, to make it where it is not as uh, hectic and chaotic on me. Um, but this year, as many of you know, who have been paying attention to this show for a long time, has not been a good year. I have lost a lot in my life. Um, and 
you find out that the people that you think you can trust the most are sometimes the people you should trust the least. And that is a very difficult thing to have to come to terms with. It is not something that I was really fully prepared to do. However, as we are coming to a close here on 2023 and 2024 is right there with a whole branch of possibilities with the elections coming up and just so much entertainment possibilities uh, with just the vast amount of uh, different, uh, different possibilities of what this election is going to turn into. I want to come into 2024 knowing that this is the thing that I, I want you all to know that this is the thing that I love doing more than almost anything else in this world. It is sort of a labor of love to continue doing this for a while. It was something fun to do with my best friend. And then he couldn't do it anymore. And then it was something that I could do with other people. Um, and a lot of those other people showed their true colors later on. Uh, and I'm kind of glad that we aren't with them anymore, that they aren't part of this anymore. Uh, People will show you who they are when it comes down to time to show you that. And no matter what those people would say or do to with when they were around me was completely different when the push came to shove uh, and they felt that choices had to be made. So... I'm glad that we are starting over and I'm glad that you and I are going to have the future together in order to make everything a little bit better for the future. Twenty twenty three was the worst year of my life. Twenty twenty four is going to be better. Statistically, it has to be. I somehow made it through the roughest year of my life without drinking, without returning to drugs, without any of that. And it wasn't easy. I still, there are days there are days that, man, do I wish I could just go to a bar and forget about everything for a little while. But I am cursed with the knowledge that that is not something I can do. And it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. But if I can do this, if I can 
if I can sit there and get through the worst year of my life, with nothing other than grit and hope, white knuckling it the entire time, just hoping and praying that tomorrow's gonna be a better day, you can see light. At some point, you start to see the light at the end. And when you start to see that light, you can finally, finally take the time. Take the time to assess everything that you have in this world and all the things that you care about and all the people that you love. And you can decide who are the people you love and who are the people you would be there for and who the people who are the people who wouldn't be there for you. Writing people out of your life is not a bad thing. Certain times things happen. Certain times things happen and having to write people out of your life is not bad. It's hard to have to do it. But now here we are coming into a brand new year. And everything's different. Everything is different. I hope that uh, I hope that I can deliver on everything that I want to do, um, and I don't want to make any promises on all the stuff that I want to do. But I hope that I can deliver on all the things that I want to do because all I've ever wanted to do is give a quality program to y'all, and if I can't do that, then there's really no point anymore. So, as we head off into 2024, allow me to say for the final time this year, we've got a long way to go, but where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>